0: And Welcome to episode 484 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus presented by the Baseball Reference Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh. not joined by my normal co-host, Sam Miller, who's been away from home this week and dealing with a weak internet connection, and today the weak connection won. So I am joined by BP author and regular Effectively Wild guest, Russell Carlton. Hello, Russell. I
1: guess, I guess I'd be the abnormal co-host. Yeah, Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can live with that. I'm okay.
0: Your internet connection is strong like bull. Ah,
1: so uh, yes.
0: With me tonight.
1: Strong like bull. Smart like tractor. Yes.
0: Yes. So uh, we have a third party on the line here. July 2nd is one of the, the notable dates on the baseball calendar because it marks the start of the international free agent signing period, which is not a subject that I would consider myself an expert on. Not a subject that Russell would consider himself an expert on. But we have someone who considers himself an expert on a lot of things, isn't actually an expert on most of them, but, but one of them that he, that he has some, some knowledge about is, is this international signing period, Kylie McDaniel, who is the National Baseball Analyst at Scout.com. Hello, Kylie. Hello,
2: Ben. And while I am also not the uh, normal guest, uh, I believe I am ear-normal. Ear that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Well, I, it's a crime that we haven't had you on in the, the two-year run of this show. So I'm glad good. that we can finally rectify that oversight. So uh, we, have, we have some listeners who are new to baseball. We have listeners in far-flung regions across the globe, maybe are not. So familiar with the the international signing period although you'd you'd think that the foreign listeners would be more familiar with it Maybe they are, but could you just give us a a quick primer? Why is July 2nd a notable date? Why does why does? uh, Everything happen on this day. How does this international free agent spending stuff work?
2: Uh, okay, so the uh, anyone who is not subject to the draft, so subject to the draft would be college, junior college players in America, high school players from Canada, Puerto Rico, America, and some U.S. protectorates in the Caribbean that don't actually produce players. So we're talking U.S., Canada, Puerto Rico is basically all that's eligible to – or uh, subject to the draft. Every other country Taking is- shots at Guam there. Yeah, well, they're actually, this. the U.S. Virgin Islands had a guy that would have gone in the first couple rounds, but he moved to the Dominican so he could get more money. So uh-huh. they're even, like, losing the players they had. Uh-huh. Uh, and that was actually one of the top players last year. And he spoke perfect English, and I interviewed him on my podcast,
0: which oh, you yes. should obviously
2: listen to. Yes.
0: Yes, I have.
2: Oh, <laughs> plug. <laughs> I didn't say the name of it, so you'll have to go deep into Google to find out what it's called.
0: Marginal Prospects.
2: That is what it's called. Ben has, mm-hmm. ben has been a guest, and I consider one of my finest episodes... When I broke down his experience in scout school, and I believe broke down his psyche by the end.
0: (laughs) Yes, that was Uh, fun. All right, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, anyway,
2: so every other country, uh, they are eligible to sign at age 16. Uh, So the countries that are most, uh, if you just look at the big leagues, the ones that are most well represented, you would see the Dominican, Venezuela, and then a handful of other uh, Latin American countries, which you'll see Aruba sometimes, Panama, Nicaragua, Colombia, Uh, all all kinds of other ones, but Dominican and Venezuela make up the majority of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are also European countries, which every now and then produce uh, a couple high six-figure or seven-figure bonuses, which in in any given year you're talking about – Fifteen this year it might be as many as twenty seven-figure bonuses, and it can go as high as about uh, five million. Although this year, I believe the highest bonus was three point two, just to give you an idea of uh, of how, how high those things go. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so this year, for example, there uh, isn't a big European guy. Last year, there was a guy from Italy that signed for a million and a half with the Royals. Uh, and also, you have the the far west. So you have Japan, Korea, Taiwan. A uh, handful of countries out there now japan has a somewhat complicated agreement where basically the players are don't actually sign at 16 they go into the japanese leagues uh they play in high school and they go to those leagues and then sign as professional players every now and then you'll see a player sign at 18 out of high school and this year there was a player from korea which doesn't have quite as strong an agreement with their pro uh teams uh, that signed at 18 for over a million dollars the Yankees, who was compared to a player you may know that also came through this process, Hack Julie, Lee uh, mm-hmm. of the Rays, uh, who I believe is in AAA right now, uh, who also signed for over a million dollars as an 18-year-old out of high school in Korea, although he was technically eligible as a
0: 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so each team has this this bonus pool, and they range from just over five million, I think, for the Astros this year, to just under two million for for a few teams. So not a not a huge range in those things, but teams can also teams can exceed that. We'll we'll talk about one team that that has in a, a very oh, a ostentatious team the way. This year? What <laughs> I, <laughs> I believe, which, which so. team
1: would that be? We will. Yeah, get, if you we'll can find out
0: <laughs> we will get to that. Um, and teams can also trade some of their bonus pools, right, if they if they don't want to spend it, if they want to spend more. But that hasn't seemed to happen much lately. That, that seemed to happen more last year, anecdotally at least.
2: Yeah, last year, more team, I, I want to say there was five to seven trades, something like that. Uh, the way they set it up is each team's pool, you get a base of, I believe it's 700,000. Uh, and then they split the rest of it into picks. So they basically create a fake draft that doesn't exist, assign slot values to the first four rounds, and then whatever the slot values add up to, that gets added to your 700000 and that makes up your pool. You can then trade some of those slots, but not all of them, to other teams for prospects or cash or whatever, which last year we saw some trades. This year I don't think there were any, but part of that is because the teams that wanted to spend money realized the... Penalties for going over actually aren't that much, so they'll just go over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was actually a, a scout and then later uh, a reader of mine suggested, well, if a team's going to go way over and pay a penalty, why don't they just trade away all their slots anyway? It's just more money. Like, Why don't you just trade that away? And I was like, it's actually an interesting point. I don't think anyone actually thought of that on the team <laughs> side. But uh-huh. if you're going to go over and pay penalties, then why, why not trade all your slots away and uh, you know spend more money on it?
1: What happens if you do go over? I mean, let's say that somebody says uh, they're, they go out and they blow $100 million or something like that. What happens?
2: Uh, you probably get a cool yacht along with the players. Cause yes! It's <laughs> yeah, I believe <laughs> to put it in context, I believe the bonuses in any given year for all of July 2, or like the entire year, but July 2 is what it's referred to because most of it happens on the first day or two, is around eighty million to $100 million. I, It may have gotten to $100 million before, uh, as Ben was suggesting, there was a, there's a the CBA changed a couple years ago to where there's pools. There used to be no pools and part of the reason they did that is because some teams are starting to spend a lot and in the last year before they put the pools in, so there would be no way there was no uh, punishments involved because they had already set the rules for the next year to be different. Uh, the Rangers spent uh, either 14 or 15 million, including the highest bonus of all time and I believe the third highest bonus of all time. Uh, which was five, and I want to say four million on their on their top two players. And ironically, of all those players, the only one that's any good right now, uh, as far as big league or high minors value, is the one that signed for three hundred thousand, uh, Odor. So that's that's how that always works. Um, yeah. So I, I've I've lost track of what question I'm answering. At point, but, oh, sorry. The penalties. So the the rules were originally if you go over your by over 10%, you have to pay a 100% tax on the overage, and then if you go, I think it's 15% over, uh, you then can't sign a player for over 250000 the next year, which is pretty notable that that would be, basically you can't sign one of the top 75 to 100 players is what they're saying. Uh, so a couple teams did that. Uh, the Rangers, the team that went crazy the year before the rules came into effect, then went crazy last year along with the Cubs, uh, and so both of them are limited to 250 this year. And the year before that, the Rays and I believe one other team went over by a little bit, basically saying we're going to spend the same amount of money, so if we spend it on one year, we're getting that talent faster, but didn't necessarily blow it out of the water just because, like for instance, the Rays are a lower-revenue uh, team, so they can't spend $15 million. They can just spend what they were going to spend for the next two years and one year and then go through it. But they actually changed the rules this year, Uh, that if you go over, you are limited to $250,000 bonuses for two more years. So this was actually not – last year was the year to do it uh, because they actually increased the penalties. And then this year, as I'm sure your next question will be, (laughs) uh, I I reported uh, right around New Year. I heard just before and then I think it took me about a week to get the story together uh, that the Yankees were primed to not just go over and not go over by a good bit but – maybe double or triple or quadruple everything that had happened before them.
0: Yeah, so so the Cubs last year went over but they went over by 15% or so which was which was considered a lot but is nothing compared to what the Yankees are doing now. So so yeah, you you reported way back in December that that the Yankees were planning to do this. You elaborated on why they were planning to do this. And on the first day of this international signing period, they did this. They they did exactly what you said that they would and signed many of the specific players you said that they would. And and they spent more than their bonus pool allotment on one single player, I think. And then they on multiple one single players, I think. (laughs) And yeah, and then signed seven other big, big ticket guys. So so what how much are they going to spend what is it what is it going to cost them and and what's the thinking here why are they doing this
2: um well that's quite an existential question uh so as far as i can gather the yankees signed 22 guys today which for context, most teams sign a total of 15 to 20 players in the entire year with maybe half of them on July 2nd, usually less than that. So if you're getting to double digits, that's a big crop. Most teams sign four to six players today, and the Yankees signed, uh, what did I say, 21 or 22? Uh-huh. Yeah, one one came in late, so I believe it's 22. And my we don't have the bonuses for every single one. About half of those players are negligible bonuses of, say – 150,000 or lower, uh, and some of them are 19 and 20, guys that were eligible in previous years popped up during the spring, but they wanted to wait until th- today when the uh, when the, the pools reset. So most teams were out of money and have been out of money for a few months. So a lot of players that were eligible in previous years had to wait to sign today. Um, so they signed, uh, my estimations have them at spending 15 million today, which means the penalties would be about 12 and a half million because their pool was... Two million and change, which would be a total outlay of twenty-seven to twenty-eight million, with a little bit a margin for error that I would say would make it twenty-five to twenty-nine. We'll say, and and they are tied to one player that didn't sign today. That rumors were they had a parting of ways, but will sign for about a million, so he's still possible. And then one other player that was rumored to have had a deal with the Padres, but then they fired their GM afterwards, and now he's rumored to go to the Yankees. And he would cost about $2 million. So mm-hmm. they they still could – it looks like, as I suggested on Twitter earlier tonight as all these signings were coming in, uh, it looks like if they signed that player that the Padres had, who's a Colombian outfielder named Brian Emery, if they signed him and they signed him for about $2 million, as it looks like, they would go over $30 million total outlay. And the previous record was the Rangers the year before the CBA and the Pools came into effect – which blew everything out of the water before that, and that was 14 or 15 million. So they basically doubled what anyone's ever done before.
0: Hmm. Wow. And, yes. And,
2: and that's including having to half of that being in penalties, which didn't get you any players, and having to sit out for two consecutive years after this, uh-huh. which this is the first year that's been in effect. So obviously paying a heavy price. If they would have known five years ago this is their plan, they should have done it last year. They would have gotten more players.
0: Mm-hmm. So of the, I mean, you ranked. Talents are you rank projected bonuses heading into this period? So of the of the top guys available, how many did they take off the board?
2: Yeah, I ended up ranking them based off of the uh, the projected bonuses. Just be, I I have a scouting background. I saw these players, but. I, I missed enough of them because they were locked. The way teams have responded to this is most of, I'd say, 25, maybe 22 out of the 30 treat this as a hard cap. This is the number we can't go over. And so they now see it as the best way to get a discount and get the best bang for the buck is to sign the players earlier and earlier where the players are incentivized to take these early deals because they get to lock in savings that they might not Uh, or lock in a deal they might not get down the road Mm -hmm. Uh, so teams are now like you sign on july 2 i was in the dominican in january and there were five or six top players that everybody knew who they were and who they were signing with and for how much money and didn't go to any showcases and i never got to see them Mm -hmm. so like last year i think i saw 12 of the top 14 or something like that and this year i think i missed two of the top five uh, I saw most of the guys beyond that, but you know, missed enough of the top guys. I didn't feel comfortable saying, well, this guy's better than that guy. I saw him for a game. I didn't even see some of them. So so I ranked them off of bonuses. And if you want to go off of talent, uh, it seems like the consensus is the top player is a guy that actually isn't eligible until signing to his birthday, which is uh, July 7th, a couple days from now. Uh, and he's going to sign with the Rays. And sounds like the next couple players... Uh, Consensus-wise, the Yankees didn't get either. But then, if you look at the consensus like three through fifteen, they got like half of them.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and is the is the consensus even accurate?
2: Well, no. Uh, uh-huh. I <laughs> I, get, I I when I worked for a team uh, back in the day, they had me do a study of July second, and what I can tell you is, it is not very predictive. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so there's there's certain things like players that are this position. And, and the highest bonuses tend to be very predictive. And if you say, uh, you know, from this group of players, if you look at the top 20 bonuses any given year, if you look at this kind of player, it might be 50-50 if you're looking at multi-million dollar guys turning into useful big leaguers. Uh, but when you look at them as a broad percentage, uh it is not super predictive, uh, but part of the reason why is there's not really any rhyme or reason. Over the years, teams have gotten more, better at it as they ha- You can see in studies they've done with the draft, they just as, as there is more uh, more scouts and more money and more attention, teams get better at picking players. But imagine drafting high school freshmen and sophomores like that's still going to be very riddled with mistakes because often these players will sign for 50 grand, be a complete afterthought and then go from an average runner to an 80 runner after they sign. And, like, Jose Reyes was, I think, the 23rd highest bonus in his signing class with the Mets. And in the study I did, it took the Mets from over a 15-year period from a bottom-five team as far as international output to a top-10 team by that afterthought that happened to work out for them. So it gives you an idea of how much luck is involved. Mm -hmm. And and as another example, one other team, the Pirates, that have been known for – Producing a lot of talent, Greg Polanco, Starlin Marte, Alan Hansen, um, Dilson Herrera, all of those guys had been eligible for over a year before they signed them, and they all signed for under three hundred thousand. So you can't you can't debate that they got good players and that there's some scouting that goes into it. But the entire industry passed on those guys for a full year and still didn't get paid that much. And now that whole group looks like geniuses. And it's the truth is probably somewhere in between. Uh, but yeah, the the, the, no one's ever spent as much money as the Yankees have, but in previous uh, big classes, you're looking for one above-average guy that's going to play in the big leagues for 10 years and some other guys that will contribute at some level or have trade value or something. Obviously, the Yankees are basically doubling all of that, so they're hoping they can get two big league regulars out of this, and that obviously would pay for it when you're talking $30 million. Uh, but also, these there's no way anyone in this class is going to have any big league value for at least five years. So you can't even just use the, you know, $6 million per win or whatever number you have, because there's obviously a lot of adjustments for the risk and that you could have spent this on a big league free agent, which would have returned at, you know, more quickly and with less risk and all that sort of thing. Um, but then there's also the, if they don't technically end up big leaguers, you could always trade them. And these guys that sign for big bonuses, keep their trade value for, uh, longer than they maybe should because uh every team tends to agree with these evaluations even if they'll tell me they think it was dumb they're like well this guy got a million dollars he's still pretty good so there's a lot of ways to measure success and it's going to take a while uh but i have a feeling in about two years the the narrative of this class will be told in one way or another and i don't know it, it, it could end up being ugly because uh there there are definitely some holes in these guys you'd like to have a slam dunk, you know, Miguel Cabrera kind of guy if you're going to do this sort of thing and they don't have that. But there wasn't a guy like that this year, so nobody was going to get it. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Kylie, you, you you kind of referenced it, but, you know, for people who don't know and aren't familiar with this, we are talking about guys who are, you know, a lot of them are 16, 17 years old and are even younger than, you know, the 18-year-olds that are being drafted as, as high school seniors. And just, I mean, being in, in my day job, knowing that, at 16, you're not fully physically or mentally uh, uh, developed yet. Um, I mean, how do teams uh, handle the fact that you know they're they're scouting um, even below? And I mean, I have to imagine they've you know had their eyes on some of these kids since they were 14. And how do they handle um, that that process at that young a level for such you know? I mean, there were. With the Yankees, we're talking about $30 million worth of investment based on something that is not only not a finished product but might not even be a started product.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because uh, they have these – The when I go down there to the Dominican, it's in January, which you know, basically there's been no competitive baseball that you can even scout other than Dominican Winter League and Venezuelan Winter Leagues for months. So when I get down there, I'm relatively fresh as far as – I'm not in like the grind of baseball. So like I – You know, during the season, I can get very used to seeing high school or college games day after day for months and months. And you get to you can go watch a guy take batting practice infield and two at bats. And before the game's over, you already know what that guy is just because you you kind of know all of the uh, all the indicators you're looking at. And you've seen enough of these guys. You have a library in your mind. And also, you know, the context of what these guys can do based on what scouts have told you he did last year. Maybe, you know, in my case, I've seen a lot of these guys for multiple years that are in my my area. With these Dominican kids, you get down there and you watch BP and I'll like, you know, pull up my camera and take some video that I can refer to later and I'll look at my notes and like I got my notes right here. Like every guy, it's the same thing, like needs to add 20 pounds, doesn't have a lot of strength, hits the ball gap to gap, seems to be trying to pull it too much, just trying to hit home runs, but he can't hit it out. Like it's the same notes for almost every player. And then one random kid walks up. Like, for instance, uh, the guy the Yankees just signed for $3.2 million, Dermis Garcia, is a third baseman. Uh, I saw him last year when an agent uh, was showing me after all the showcases happened. Before I left, he goes, hey, I want you to see one of my guys for next year. And it was this kid. And it wasn't that good. It was like he was big. He might be able to play the infield. He's got a little power, but it wasn't great. But he was 15. And you're like, oh, OK, he could be good. One year later, I see him at this big showcase. There's like 300 scouts there, and he was hitting the ball 50 feet over the left field fence with a wood bat and batting practice, and some scouts say he's got 30 home run power, and obviously, it's easy to watch that guy and be like, oh, he could play third base. He's a big dude. He's got huge power. That's an easy one, uh, but even he has what some scouts call a grooved swing where you're not sure he's going to end up. Being able to hit in the big leagues, it looks like he's always swing on the same plane for every pitch. Doesn't seem real loose. And then another guy that's also got 3.2 million. It's a Dominican kid. Has one of the wildest Jeremy Burnett style swings you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but he's big and loose and athletic and has more bat speed and has similar power. And like it looked easier to do and looks more like what you're looking for in a hitter but obviously you have to teach him to take like a normal swing but he's been conditioned you get paid more if you hit the ball far so that's what he's doing and scouts look at those two guys one with a compact repeatable swing with huge power and one with a completely out of control wild cut and most of them prefer the guy with the wild cut because it looked like like a better ball of clay to start with and it had nothing to do with how you know how polished they were it was that guy might be a first baseman i don't know but he's got his hands work the right way which you see a little bit on the high school and definitely at the college level uh but it's it's definitely more picking out attributes and picking out uh projectable actions uh seeing what their parents look like confirming what their age is like it's a completely different process while still doing technically the same thing you're looking for different stuff
1: yeah, you led into another question that, that has come up uh, over the past few years, and that was the age uh, discrepancies that have come up. And um, I know that uh, uh, what uh, Leo Nunez and, and Fausto Carmona and all oh, those aren't their real names, are they? And, uh, um, and some of those uh, uh, fake things. I wonder how, what's the, the status on that? What's the latest on that? Has, uh, has Major League Baseball or the team's uh, been doing a better job about finding out uh, who these guys are really and whether, you know, that age 16 should be put in, in scare quotes or not.
2: Yeah, they've definitely done a better job. Uh, they've, uh, they've standardized a process for if you basically, if you want to get paid high six figures or even seven figures, you need to register with us. We need to have, you know, blood tests, all kinds of documentation, uh, drug tests, the whole deal. And the players that have been busted, there was one big-time player this year that I still haven't heard official word. His name was Alex Paredes. He was actually at the Under Armour All-American game with all the high schoolers. They bring a couple Dominican kids every year. One of them was Nelson Gomez, who got $2.3 million from the Yankees. And then this guy went. He looked like he was one of the best players on the field. And everyone's like, oh, he's gonna get you know three, four million dollars. He's gonna be the next guy. And then right before I got there in January, he didn't show up at any of these showcases. And I was like, I know he doesn't have a deal yet. Why wasn't he down here? They go, oh, he got busted for age. And this was basically right after he got on the big national stage. He got busted. And I believe last year there was one guy that got busted around the same time. And there haven't really even really been that many that have gotten busted after they sign. And uh, there was another yeah there was another guy last year at the same time that was said he was 15. If he was 15 he looked like a pretty decent player but had some holes. It turned out he was 20 and by like February they had figured it out. So they're definitely like once they hit the national stage to where kids are getting deals and they're really paying attention to them and these kids are registering uh, the last few years no one's really gotten more than about three or four months without getting caught that has been caught. Now obviously there's probably still kids that haven't been caught yet, but, uh, MLB's definitely done a much better job, but you'll still hear, you'll still hear scouts say, that kid passed all of his tests. I don't believe it, and they'll kind of steer clear because you don't have to have the right answer for every guy. You have the right, right answer for the kids you sign, so there's still a little bit of uh, dubiousness, and especially when they'll do the here's the here's the eligible kids. And then here's the guys for next year. You see it a ton with those guys because some of these showcases I went to, since they know these kids will sign up to a year in advance, there's rumors kids for next year have already signed or Mm -hmm. verbally agreed to deals. Uh, At the showcases in January, they did 2015 kids. And some of them were like 6'4", 220 lefties with huge power. And you're like, how is that possible? That kid's 14 right now. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that because obviously there were so many signings on day one of this period. It's not because everyone just had a really productive morning <laughs> and just like got up really early and had their coffee and signed eight players. The, it's the key that- is
2: having all 30 teams in your family.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um so these deals obviously were were arranged for many months you wrote about many of them last year even and there's a lot of pressure on these players to sign way ahead of time right i mean what why is what is the the pressure that is that is making teams scout players younger and younger and is making those players agree to deals earlier and earlier
2: yeah well i, I referenced it before it's the 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 20 20- to 25 teams that treat these bonus pools as hard caps, uh, say I've got $2 million or $3 million or whatever it is, and exactly that amount, how do I get the level of player that I want and as many of them as I want and they you'll often hear from scouts and it'll even be guys that I pick out in January that I like, uh, like in the past years when they're obviously these guys weren't locked up as as prevalently. You'll say, oh, that guy, there was a guy last year that signed with the Blue Jays for, I think, one point two million, a shortstop named Yeltsin Godino from uh, Venezuela. And he was like six foot one fifty, had no strength at all, had the smoothest swing you've ever seen. Great actions at shortstop, ran pretty well, but you could tell you hadn't physically filled out yet. And often these kids will get faster at ages 15 and 16, which you don't see in America. Once you see these kids at 18, they don't get any faster and usually get slower. At 14 and 15, if a kid runs a really good, like a plus time uh, in the 60, they assume he's older because you basically can't run that fast at that age. So you watch him and you're like, oh, he's going to get faster. He's going to get more physical. He's definitely going to put on some weight and get stronger. I really like that guy. And apparently the Blue Jays saw him uh, a little bit before that, saw the same thing, and locked him up for maybe four or 500000 less than he would have gotten if he waited until the end. But there's a chance he gets hurt that ends up having to sign for half. There's also something that happened a lot before there, there were bonus pools is agents, uh, well, more specifically the Buscones, the local guys, now a lot of American agents have gotten involved. But the local Buscones that train these kids from ages 12 to 16 and then get, say, 30 to 40% of their bonus will get greedy at the end. And then all the money gets spent and then they get left out and end up signing for a third of what they would have got, which is what happened with uh, Odor, the guy the Rangers signed that year. They were done spending money and then they saw this Odor guy sitting there and they're like, We spent all our money. Can we get like another 350 or 400 grand or whatever he ended up signing for? Because this guy absolutely should have gotten a million dollars, but it just didn't, the market didn't play out in his favor. And it sounds like the agent might have messed it up a little bit. So players are now scared of losing out on their big payday and their ability to set their family up for, you know, for generations, uh, potentially. And as much as they believe they're all going to be big league stars, they know they have to get paid. Uh, so if you, if you tell somebody eight months in advance, I'll give you 80% of what your best case scenario is, they would be dumb not to take it. And now that this has been happening, I mean, the Yankees first, uh, wave of the players they signed, they signed six guys in the middle of December. Uh, it turned out they're all still pretty decent values for what they gave them. But there were some deals done before that. The guy the Red Sox signed for about $2 million was the best pitcher this year. Uh, I was told he – there's a guy at the winter meetings that pulled uh, – the international director walked up to me, pulled out his phone, showed me a video of a pitcher, and he goes, that guy look pretty good to you? And I go, yeah. He goes, he's already signed. You're never going to see him. <laughs> he's not going to go to anything you're going to. And he wouldn't tell me who, but it turned out it was the Red Sox It signed him for $2 million or right, 1.8 right around there. Uh, and he was like, what if you're, you know, he was a 5'11 right-hander and he's 15. He got offered almost $2 million. Like, of course you take that. Like, maybe you mm-hmm. would have gotten three. You also might have gotten nothing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same, same sort of thing that we see with young players signing extensions. The, the numbers are bigger, of course, but it's the uh, same sort of thing we see with, with professional players. And we've talked about that conflict with guys like Polanco and Springer and, and deciding whether to take the money or try to make more later. Um, so, so you mentioned it briefly that, you know, if the Yankees get two major leaguers someday out of this, then, then it's worth it for them. Is that all it is? Cause I mean, the, the numbers don't maybe sound huge when you consider that whatever it is, 26, 27, 28. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, that's Carlos Ruiz's contract from this winter or, or that's Alex Guerrero's contract, a, a foreign player who was not subject to these bonus pools. Um, so is, I mean, but, you know, relative to what everyone else is spending, this is some real old school Steinbrenner stuff, just spending everyone into submission. Is that just the motivation that that it's just kind of acquire all these guys, hope hope a couple of them pan out? And if they do, then, then you're getting a good deal. And if so, why are the Yankees the only one doing it to this extent?
2: It's funny because I talked to one of the teams that uh, overspent their bonus pool in the past. Uh, in, the, in the last couple of years. And I, I said, Well, if you're, it was a larger market team. So I was like, If you were going to go over, why didn't you, we didn't know at the time, but why didn't you do what the Yankees ended up doing? Mm-hmm. And he said, The problem was no one had completely blown away their pool before. Our teams had only gone a little bit over. And he said, We had deals worked out with players that the agent backed out because he thought what we were doing was we had agreed to say six deals, but we could only afford four of them and we were going to drop some guys late, which used to happen in the uh-huh. old process all the time. Uh, and so they didn't trust them basically. And then after they signed all the players, they were like, look, we were trying to tell you, we were going to spend, say our pool was three. We were going to spend eight. Uh, we were trying to tell you, you could have gotten paid more if you trusted us. And then it sounded like, uh, I talked to a couple, uh, uh international scouting directors was, I was writing all the reports for this. And I said, uh, when the Yankees sort of decided to go over, which it sounds like went all the way back to August when they were in the middle of not making the playoffs and they had all these meetings, they hatched their plan then. And then everybody found out in about October, November when they like their heavy hitters were getting seen like way too early scouting these players in like Venezuela where the heavy hitters don't go. Mm. And then in December, all these guys got locked up. And, of course, the agents are going to talk. Everybody figures it out pretty quickly. Um It sounds like from talking to these guys, uh, the directors did not rule it out at all, and a couple of them said, I think some of these teams that went over this year, the Red Sox, the Rays, the Brewers, uh, may have decided to do it, have gotten the okay from ownership after I wrote the Yankees were going to blow this away by five times because you can go to your owner and say, the Yankees are going to do X, Y, and Z. We need to get more money, and there's no way for him to know that if nobody wrote it, so how can he know? And he was saying there were some teams like you know, the Red Sox and the Rays that were inclined to go over and maybe were planning to and maybe were you know, in the process of getting it okayed. But once they saw the report, oh, the Yankees are going to do this and everyone kind of nods their head like, yeah, that's what's happening uh, all of a sudden your owner is like, oh, we're probably going to get an international draft soon. For all we know, they're going to change the rules soon. We need to spend now while we can. And it kind of pushed some teams uh, you know, over the wall that were maybe kind of not quite ready to get that approval from uh, GMs and ownership and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And so does this mean that the Yankees will pretty much have to sit out next year? Or is there any other next, way around Next it?
2: year and the and year after. the year after, after that too. Uh-huh. And the assumption is there'll be... a. Uh, an international draft at that point, which will then put a hard cap on what you can spend.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: but you know based on you've got four picks, you pick these players and you pay them what the slot is, mm-hmm. uh, which would be an even more stringent than the draft, which would then mean the only way other than big league free agency to, to spend whatever you want would be on Cuban players over the age of 23, which is why you're seeing that market explode even more than it used to uh, because now there's no place to spend all that TV money other than big League free
0: agents and extensions. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've been talking for a while and we haven't even really gotten into specific players. We're talking more about the process and the strategy and and that's probably telling. I mean, that's that's kind of where my interests lie when we talk about this stuff because I figure, uh, you know, best case scenario, it's going to be three, four years till we see any of these guys, probably more like five, six, seven. So you'd you'd think, I mean, we have plenty of time to get to know these guys, right? But but there is a lot of interest in these specific players and just just looking at your twitter feed and you answering questions from people who are really interested in specific players and what those players are going to be is this i mean obviously there's been an explosion in interest in prospects generally but it would seem like you know guys who are this far away would be a pretty tough sell to to get the typical fan interested is this a product of you know dynasty leagues that 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 include every player anywhere why why do people want to want to know who, who the best players in in the july 2nd signing period are
2: i was just about to say it's i think it's those dynasty players because the funny thing mm-hmm. is i'll get these really oddly worded questions like which player like first you get the question which player reaches the big leagues first out of this july 2nd <laughs> class mm-hmm. and i'm like no one's going to get anywhere close to the big leagues for at least four years. And you're asking me to guess who's going to be best four years from now. When some of these guys might grow three inches, like that's absurd. And then they get smarter and they say, all right, which player will get out of the Dominican summer league and get to the GCL or AZL first. Like that's now their way of asking like, which one should I pick up? I know these are the 10 players that are good, but which one's going to, you know, have trade value in my dynasty league first. They're Uh getting, they're getting very smart about it. Um, yeah, I think and I think there's also like I I'm my family's from Alabama. We're big Alabama football fans. I part of what I do for scout is writing about, you know, commits for SEC and ACC schools and sort of the, you know, the heartland or or whatever you call it, the Bible Belt. And uh, those fans, it's funny, I remember at one point I was talking to some NC State fans about how Carlos Rodon wasn't quite as good as the hype had made him out to be and that I thought, you know, say Baseball America had sort of overestimated him, but this is, you know, what I had seen and this, you know, relates to this and you put him a little lower based on that and this guy's a little closer and they got so angry with me. It had nothing to do with the facts or what I was saying. It was just, we're angry. And the fact that I was saying the guy who should be hired is at rival East Carolina who just gets their scraps as far as recruiting goes. They were like incensed. Like, what are you doing telling us this? We can't believe you would write something so blasphemous. And the reason I bring that up is because if you're a diehard Yankee fan, you need to know everything. And you need to, like you how you follow the game, everything is great or terrible or we won or we lost. Much like that, you wait for prospect season in December to see everyone's list to see, oh, my team's farm system, which may as well be run by me with how much pride I take in it, uh, is doing better or worse. It, you always see these questions when I put these lists up. Is the Yankees' best second-base prospect better than the Red Sox' best second-base prospect, which has nothing to do with anything except for you know beating your friend in a bar bet? Um, and seeing you know what the answer is. And so this is just the extension of that. If you're the diehard fan, you want to root for Alabama football. You want to know who they're recruiting. You want to know if they're getting more commits than Auburn, even though it doesn't mean anything until they get to campus and are actually playing three years from now. You want to know. And mm-hmm. that's the same thing with this. You want to be informed. You want to live vicariously through your team. And you want to sort of feel every part of it and be the most informed. This is the you know the razor's edge of of being the most informed because you'll find guys that are like VPs of scouting with teams that are in the room for picking these players that have trouble getting invested in it because they're like we're just gonna be wrong about everybody anyway why would I care mm-hmm. and these people on Twitter are way more invested in it <laughs> if these like who's gonna get to the GCL first and he's like I don't care he's either good
1: or bad it's out of my hands right. So there is – we've talked a lot about the Yankees, and and I guess this is just kind of another sneaky way of asking, so who's the best player? But other than the Yankees, so we're going to talk about the other 29 teams that uh, occasionally play ball. Um, Who's the consensus that that they had a good day today um, uh, on the the international market? Uh, Well, this is – Wow, this is
2: really going to be great for ratings. The Red Sox did pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So we can have the Yankees play
1: the Red Sox. That never happens.
2: Yeah, the Red Sox didn't go crazy over their pool. I believe their pool was like $2.5 million. Uh, they signed a player I was talking about from Venezuela. His name's Anderson Espinosa. Uh, I had a Scott tell me he's at 97. I hadn't heard that until recently, but he's been basically hidden for the last six months. So who knows what he's been doing? Uh, but he's like a 5'11 Dynamo with all, all kinds of stuff in his arm. Everything's above average already, and he's only 16. Uh, he signed for basically what their pool amount was, about $2 million. They also got the best pitcher out of the Dominican, Christopher Acosta, for, I believe, 1.5, and then signed another guy, Elwin Tejada, another guy that I like, one of those sort of skinny shortstops that if he ends up having the body that ends, on, ends up putting on 20 pounds and retains all of his athleticism, could be a steal. Uh so they've spent, uh, what is that, like 3800000 million? I'm sure they'll spend a little bit more, which is about double their pool, uh, which I'm not – It's for the funny part is I'm not sure if not being able to sign a player for the next two years is worth going double your pool, but getting to move three years of players into one year, I suspect that could be enough, especially if you think an international draft is coming soon. So there's also now a strategy issue of, well, they might have gotten the second best crop of players, but was it worth the price they paid? They, should they be getting somebody else as well?
0: Mm-hmm. And so just to, to placate the, the dynasty players in the audience I mean, can you uh, give us a very quick scouting report on you know the top couple guys the adrian rondon or nelson gomez or or whoever the the guys with the biggest bonuses are or the guys who will get to the gcl quickest
2: <laughs> you know it's not all about bonuses mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah so the, one of the players i was talking about I don't know if i said his name that had the big crazy swing but had all of the elements you want to look for in a swing was gilbert lara who signed with uh the brewers today for believe 3.2 million mm. uh He's a potential 25-home run, middle-of-the-order third baseman, but also may end up being a first baseman. And with a swing, obviously, who knows if he's going to hit for enough average because he's got to get through you know six levels of the minors. Uh, the next one would be Adrian Rondon, who isn't eligible to sign for a couple more days, but has been comp to Carlos Correa, Manny Machado, uh, Hanley Ramirez, uh, and he's uh, – I believe the youngest of the top prospects, which again, we've learned with the draft uh, high school players being a year younger than their peers is big at 16. That curve is super steep. So the fact that he's like eight months younger than all the other guys I'm going to mention bodes well. And he's another one of those 6'1 170 lanky dudes may end up being a third baseman. If he puts on 20 pounds, maybe a shortstop, if he doesn't Advanced field, to hit and field and run, everything's good, but it's not a huge power guy. Maybe, maybe 15 homers, as opposed to some of these other guys are more, you know, 25 or 30 home run potential guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned Dermis Garcia, the guy that might have a grooved swing, but has simple mechanics and might have 70 power, which would be about 30 homers. Might be able to play third, a little better chance than Laura. He went to the Yankees uh, for, I believe, 3.2. Uh, Nelson Gomez, another guy the Yankees signed, I believe it was 2.3 million. Uh, he's a not great body guy, Uh Looks physically like a first baseman, isn't great laterally, but has good hands and a plus arm. Would Probably third base or right field, advanced bat, chance for 15 to 20 homers. Uh, he was also in that Under Armour game with Alex Paredes, the guy that now is, I believe, 20 years old and is suspended for a year. So he, he made out better in that equation. <laughs> uh, and then a couple more guys. I mentioned Anderson Espinosa, the pitcher of the uh, Red Sox sign out of Venezuela. Uh, there's another guy out of Venezuela, Brian Hernandez, that the Mariners signed for $1.8 He's your prototypical center fielder. Above average to plus runner, chance for 15 homers, uh, good simple stroke, above average bat speed. And I think the most interesting guy in this year's class is uh, from Colombia. His name is Brian Emery. He's been training in the Dominican uh, for the last year. So in that way, he's been easy to see. You don't have to fly all the way to Colombia. But his agent, uh, Ivan Naboa, uh, is notorious for two things. One he gets some of the craziest deals. He had a player that some guys didn't think was a prospect. They got $1.1 million a couple years ago. And he uh, got a player that was maybe a million, maybe $2 million guy, the $4.95 million biggest bonus of all time two years ago. Uh, now he's got this kid, Brian Emery, who works out in the infield, works out in the outfield, is probably a right fielder down the road. But he's a 6'3", 180, lanky switch hitter, really good swing, Power potential, right field arm, butt average runner, everything's great. The other thing Ivan Neboa is notorious for is he does not let his players play in games. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So no one, I don't think anyone's ever seen him face live pitching before, which if you think about it, is kind of amazing. Because this used to be normal 10 years ago, and now it's been essentially outlawed. They have all of these prospect leagues, all the things that I go to, there's games being played. And some of these teams are seeing guys like 100 at-bats before they sign them, which is one of the reasons why they're better at picking players and the showcase season we have in America, another reason why teams have more confidence in picking high school players and are better at doing it, statistically has been proven. So this guy is a classic, huge upside, huge risk. But uh, if he if he had those 100 at-bats and was performing pretty well, might get the highest bonus in this class, as is, he looks like he's in line for about $2 million. He was rumored to have a deal done with the Padres about a month ago before Josh Burns got fired. Now it's looking like he might side with the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs>
1: of course. Yeah, and uh, the Yankees
2: had a guy that they were locked up with for a long time, and then about a month ago it sounded like uh, they parted ways with him right around the same time Josh Burns got fired. So they might actually have a budget that they were running up against and said, we got to drop this guy to go get Emory. Mm-hmm. And he was the guy that I mentioned earlier. If they end up signing him, I believe pushes them over $30 million for the, uh, for the total outlay.
0: You mentioned the Brewers signing a big bonus guy. Are they a team that has ramped up their presence in this market because historically i don't know I, I think of the rangers as a team that spends a lot on the international market and is very active and the the brewers may be at the opposite end of that spectrum uh, has that changed are there other teams that have really dedicated themselves recently
2: there was a time i believe five years ago when only two teams didn't have an academy the dominican uh, and it was milwaukee and washington Washington, it was because their international director was put in jail.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a
2: pretty good reason to like kind of reevaluate what's going on down there. And Milwaukee just didn't have one. They ended up sharing one with Washington. And they, I believe they now both since have their own and have some new personnel and new guys running, I believe. In, I know the Washington does. They end up taking uh, Johnny DiPuglia from uh, Boston, who is a very uh, respected executive, uh, is now running for the Nationals. And the Brewers now have a new group as well. Uh, and they uh, – it was actually interesting. Lara was one of the top players that wasn't signed at the was not – didn't yet have a verbal deal when I saw him in January. And at that uh, thing, the uh, event, the MLB showcase, where I have the video of Lara with his crazy swing, uh, you would think he wouldn't be able to hit in games. I believe he went four for six with a home run, two doubles, a walk, and a strikeout, I want to say. Like, it was a surprisingly good showing against guys throwing, like, 85 or 90 for a guy with the nuttiest swing you've seen. Uh, and right after that, it was Milwaukee, the Yankees, uh, the Dodgers, a couple other teams started bidding and then Milwaukee came in and I don't think they were planning to go over their pool until they've realized to get this guy, you have to go over your pool. And they decided to, and I don't think they've signed anyone else today. So he, that's another team where you're like, they went over their pool. They're not going to be able to sign guys for two straight years. And then they only went over by like a million to get one player. Like they must really like this guy. And this is like their first big salvo of their sort of new, new regime down there. So mm-hmm. he, he seems to be the face of what they're doing. And I believe after, after I reported they had a deal in February, uh, two beat writers asked Doug Melvin and he was forced to say that they didn't have a deal and then the agent came out and said they didn't have a deal and then today they signed for the money that I said they signed for in February
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay and then oh and lastly is there anyone who is not part of this signing period who's not subject to these bonus pools but is maybe an international player who's who's obtaining residency somewhere or, or could, could be signing somewhere and, and make an impact fairly soon
2: that we should be aware of uh, there are two Cuban guys to know. One of them just signed with the Reds for $30 million. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to get about 10 to 15 uh, mm-hmm. and some speculated size 20. And then the Reds said, it's, his name's is Iglesias, a Cuban reliever. I saw him last year play college team USA in a game where callers rode on and a bunch of other first round first rounders pitched. And he had been mostly 88 to 92. And then in this thing, he was 92 to 95. And he's like a six-foot guy, shows you two-plus pitches. The Reds said they think he can start, which is why they paid him that much. Most teams thought he was more of an eighth-inning guy, which is why they thought he'd get about 10 or $15 million. Uh, But he could potentially be down the stretch coming up into the big leagues. Uh, but since they said they want to make him a starter, you'd think they'll take it a little slower than that. The other guy is Yasmani Tomas, who is a – we'll say probably a right fielder. Uh, he shows you some of the qualities that have been seen in Jose Abreu and Diane pre- Viciato, and some of these previous big power Cuban guys. He just defected, so he's not going to be eligible to sign for maybe another six or eight months, so he's more of a 2015 guy. Uh, and he's a big power Maybe even a swing and miss kind of guy that's put on some weight might be 240 pounds. Is kind of a below average runner, so could turn into that four A slugger for certain teams that think he's maybe a 10 to 20 million dollar guy. But there's some buzz. Some teams think his power's a 70. Uh, there's a video of him in the WBC against Japan hitting the ball like over the fence for like 50 feet in left center field. Uh, and there's some rumors he might approach $50 million if he really gets in good shape and really starts uh, killing it at these workouts because, like I said, there's nowhere to spend your money other than uh, big leaguers uh, if you want to because everything else has uh, has some penalties associated with it. So it might it might get out of hand.
1: Okay.
0: Well, we have kept you too long. The Yankees have signed three players since we started talking. Uh,
2: back, back to Twitter.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, everyone, you can find Kylie's work at scoutingbaseball.com. Uh, You can find his podcast on iTunes, Marginal Prospects. He does have me on sometimes, but he also gets good guests and has has interesting episodes. Uh, And you can find him on Twitter at Kylie MCD. He is reporting lots of signings. Clearly, he is a man in the know uh, because he knew things that happened today last year. And he he covers all manner of prospects. You are you are flying in the morning to North Carolina to see Team USA and cover some am, amateurs there. So, all, all all shapes and forms of prospects are covered by you. Uh, so you are you are a good good follow, I would say. Uh, 70,
2: so seventy percent of the world is covered by water, and the other thirty <laughs> percent is covered by
0: me. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, thank you, Kylie. Yes. Thanks for having me. And please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to BaseballReference.com. Subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We actually will have a show tomorrow that is the current plan, so you can listen to it on your day off. You can listen to it next week when you're working again, whenever you want to listen to it. You can listen to it as things explode. Yes, exactly. So thank you for, for joining us. We will be back with a new show tomorrow.
2: Is that the horn you used to start? the podcast? <laughs>
0: is,
2: is there like a tugboat I can't hear in the distance?
0: It's my traditional pre-podcast yawn.
2: Well, see, that, I, I just threw that... some chalk in the air just so you guys know.
0: been talking to you for a few minutes and I'm bored already.
2: I, that's about so, par for the course.